When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. Hey, brother, how are you? I'm doing fantastic now that I've had something to eat, and I'm not quite shaky. You know, I I wasn't shaky today, but I was pretty excited I got to eat, too. <laughs> we are an eating-type family. We are. Yeah, today was one of those days where you you kind of forgot. You went way too long between a little bit for breakfast and a whole lot for dinner. Yeah, actually, um, not that it was asked to me, but bonus information. I had a very small breakfast, but it really messed my stomach up. Uh, I wasn't feeling quite well, so I totally skipped lunch. And uh, I had a pretty good-sized dinner. Excellent. Well, this week, what we're talking about is the circular economy. I know I sent that to you a little while back, but it was one of those ones we kind of skipped over. So some of this might be a surprise for you. Sweet. I love surprises, especially if they've got ribbons and other single-use items that I cannot throw away. Bows. <laughs> no, no single-use items. None. You know, take the fun out of everything. Most things. Not everything. Most things. Well, so when I say circular economy, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What do you think it is just by its name? Okay. 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 Here we go. This is important. I don't want to screw this up. I have two thoughts simultaneously, one meaning a fiscal thing like an economy around the world doing stocks and trades and stuff like that, where you see the influence one country has on another's market and economy. And the other one, when you say a circle economy, I, I lean more towards um, things that are renewable, things that when you use them, they, they replenish themselves endlessly, thus being a circle and emphasizing the finite resources. Well, I mean, considering what we do, it is one of those, you know, you know, I'm going to go towards the sustainability side, you know, I'm going to push the, the resources. So that is, in an essence, kind of what we're talking about. Okay, good. I don't feel like completely stupid then. <laughs> when it comes to business, they so often miss the mark. You know, they think they're they're aiming in the right direction, but sometimes they just fall way off in a field. And uh, you're going to hear about some of that kind of today. Well, I think it was your mom that said, when it comes to gambling, go out in the cornfield, throw all your money out there, and then whatever you get to find, you can keep. Yeah, that's exactly how she yeah. taught me about gambling. Well, I think that the way they handle sustainability is pretty similar in that regard. They just kind of chuck all these ideas out, and then whatever people pick up is what they get with no intention on going further with any of them. So it's, it's, you know, I'm kind of short-siding some companies, but there's not a whole lot. I mean, in terms of percentages with companies that really make an effort to make the world a better place. Well, and, and we'll hear some that are starting to try, but you're right. It's profit driven in most cases and that they have to report back to stockholders. And sometimes you can't see the forest in spite the trees. Yes. So when we talk about a circular economy, we have to look at it like running the economy like nature runs its business. 
because nature has had millions of years to figure this out. So something grows out of the ground. It pulls the nutrients from the ground. An animal comes by and eats that plant. A bigger animal comes by and eats that animal. And then that animal dies of old age, rots into the ground, and becomes nutrients for the next plant. There's never anything left on the table when it comes to nature. Nature uses every piece, every time. That is... Yeah, that is... Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, that's the circle of life. I learned that from The Lion King when I was seven years old. (laughs) Right. Well, the same thing with the materials. It is one big circle, and every piece is used in every way, which is completely different than the human version, which is linear, which is we make it, we use it, we dispose of it. Okay. And sometimes we might take a little piece here or there to make another one, use it, and then dispose it. But most of the time, it's all new stuff. Yeah, you're right. It's... It's becoming, I don't know, I guess more of a pain for most companies to invest in the recycling portion of their old products versus just, you know, processing new materials and building new ones. Because, I mean, I understand understand it. I really do. I understand that when they look at that specific scenario, especially for companies that have been around for decades, they look at trading a whole new division of their company, people that actually are in charge of assessing the items, taking them apart, almost Mm -hmm. reverse engineering the stuff, finding the stuff that's functional, salvageable, and then finding people that are experts in how to properly dispose of the things that cannot be reused. And that it's a big cost. But Everything new is going to cost something just to get started. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies want you to have the cost, not them. They want the other company that they're competing against to have the cost. So they try to wait as long as they can. Yeah, I I do think that there is a lot of, uh, we'll let them figure it out first and we'll just make it better in business. And by, when they say better, they really mean more cost efficient. So they don't have as much overhead, right? You know, and business people just want to, earn a dollar they don't want to really do what's best for the world and their workers and their customers they just want to earn their money keep their shareholders happy and move on well and there are some things because of scarcity in materials that companies are actively searching for their things back to get just this portion we talked before about cell phones and electronics during the future of electronics episode well copper steel iron aluminum gold silver platinum, all those precious metals, companies are scrambling to get the materials. For an example, copper. Copper is Mm -hmm. an easily recyclable resource that when you recycle it to reuse it is only about 10 to 20% the cost of actually going out and getting ore, smelting and creating copper. So well, yeah, because it's already processed. Yeah, it's way cheaper to reprocess it as a recycled material than it is to create it. Same with aluminum. Yeah, we've actually talked about aluminum a lot because, I mean, in our conversation before we were recording about malt soda and how much pop I drink, we go through a lot of aluminum as a, as a species. Not even like, I, mean, I can't use myself as a measuring stick, but my home, we use an obscene amount of aluminum with pop and stuff. So as long as the aluminum in those cans is part of the super recyclable aluminum, then I know there's a lot of it that gets made. A lot of it. Well, and aluminum is, well, it's funny, 75%, and this is a loose percentage, but it is right around uh, three quarters of the aluminum ever made in human history is still in circulation. Doesn't surprise me. Uh, Aluminum is one of those materials that can be used over and over and over and over again and it and the reason why there's still 25 percent missing from that number is because they disposed of it lost it before they knew they should be recycling it now correct me if i'm wrong because i i don't know for sure 
But aluminum doesn't have the same problem with rusting like iron does, does it? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's it steel. doesn't. So, yeah, it doesn't break down like that. So because of that, you would think that they would have been using it a lot more throughout the years. I understand that it's not as strong and stuff. It's not quite as durable in that aspect. But still, I mean, if something, if you have a, a metal that nature is not going to take away with time, then you pour salt on it, it's not going to fall apart. <laughs> you think they'd utilize it more. Well, aluminum is used used a lot, uh, especially in automotive industries. A lot of things are cast aluminum. So uh, engineering racking quite often is cast aluminum. Aluminum is used in a lot of different things already. It's one of those materials that companies already know they want back, just like gold, just like silver. Yeah. You know, the, the copper, they want those materials back because they're way cheaper to reuse than to go and get virgin material. Yeah, that's part of the core charge when you take things like alternators back. That it's a you know the copper coil or sorry, it's copper wiring that's braided in a coil that's wrapped um, around something. Sorry, I've never completely taken one apart, but it's in a, a cast aluminum casing, and then that I don't think there's any steel on it, honestly, yeah, other the, than maybe the pulley. Well, and the problems that you run into with circular economies are the goal is to be net neutral. And so you do all your life cycle analysis on your parts. You do all your embodied energy and you need to come out and you need to break even. You also need to make sure all the materials that come back, they all, everything you put out needs to come back to you and that you reuse it again. That's where the complication happens because especially with plastics. Plastics, usually when you recycle them, downcycle. You can't necessarily use that plastic for the same thing again. And, and same thing with paper and cardboard, stuff like that. I see you think. Okay, well, yeah, it's not hard. There's smoke coming out of my ears. My brain is downcycling <laughs> right now. So when I was a kid, I had these plastic toys, and I would always melt them and connect them to make them one toy. But every time you did, you always had a lot less to work with when you melted them. My question for when it comes to plastic, or for when it comes to plastic, is it easier to work with at a lower heat? I mean, will it be pliable and functional without getting hot enough to actually melt it? Metal's easy. You get metal hot, it melts, and you could smelt it or forge it any way you want to. And plus when it when metal gets hot enough to melt, it shows all the imperfections it has. And if you've got the proper ways to do it, you can remove like garbage that's inside of your metal products. But plastic, I mean, when you get it hot enough to melt, it just burns and evaporates at a gas. Yeah, so it, it, it changes the chemical properties. That's one of the reasons why it downcycles. And even if you heat it up slowly, once it gets to that melting point, a lot of times you've completely changed the material. I ran that experiment with Stemnetics where I tried to melt together the caps of bottle or like milk cartons. That material is recyclable. So I put them all in a thing and I put them in a toaster oven because, you know, safety first at a middle school. And melt and melted them down until they became one large flat piece of plastic of different colors. That was neat. I took it off the wax paper, could play with it. I was trying to figure out how could I recycle the plastic and make parts out of them. So then in the meantime, I cut up the, um, the actual milk jug itself and put it on there, melted it down. That worked. Well, those are the same recycle materials, the same, I think it's number two recycle plastic. I took, okay. I took, or I took water bottles, cut them up and did the same thing. When I did that, 
not only, I mean, both times it stunk in the room, but when I did it with the water bottles, it completely changed the material. It went from this easy to squeeze plastic water bottle to this rigid glass-like structure that fractured and broke. So it, was it real fragile that way? It was. It became very brittle. It completely made that material useless. So when you think about circular okay. economy, now you have to decide what plastics do I put into my product so that when I get them back, I can reuse them. That starts changing the whole concept of how you build your equipment. And that's where a lot of companies aren't real fond of the idea. Well, maybe if that were the case, it should be producing products that downcycle. Maybe they should be using something that, you know, is recyclable and is reusable. And if, even if the product costs a little more, I know that's not good for competitive pricing and all, but maybe they should look at changing the product. Well, and that's, that's where the, that's where sustainability is at. Sustainability wants these products to be changed, but our current market system is based on how much margin can you get from the cheapest product to the most people. And sometimes the advantage is, and I know this from being an engineer, we will sit and argue in a room for two and a half months over three cents, but three cents over a vehicle, you know, per vehicle over a hundred thousand vehicles, you know, you start getting significant savings when those things happen. So people will, you know, fight and argue about not changing those materials until they absolutely have to. And the only way that's going to happen is when they, when the manufacturers are responsible for the waste. Oh, you're, I, I totally get that. You're right. And, and when you put it into that perspective um, and you look at like what you do for a living, and if you've got a bunch of people that work on the same motor you work on and each person is responsible for a different part of the motor, then that three cents may only be three cents for, let's say, a fuel injector. But then what about the rest of the systems of the motor? What about, you know, carburetors or what about, obviously you don't have carburetors or fuel injectors. No one fact check me. I know this. But what about <laughs> your fans? What about your cooling? What about your spark plugs or any of the coils or the control modules, any of that stuff? Like if you start racking up three cents here, two cents here, one cent here and like you said if it's a hundred thousand well three cents and a hundred thousand is quite a bit of money and then you multiply that by every little tiny cent you might have saved on the rest of them it does show a big difference financially okay so you raise the price of the vehicle or, or the product like a television or something and then you're no longer within your price niche that you originally marketed for you know there are there are some economic concerns with it the problem is, is that it's going to have to get there one way or another because we need it to. Materials are becoming a problem. The fact is, is that we're running out of things that we can, especially like lithium, for an example. We are starting to run out of lithium. Well, almost every battery uses lithium. And unless you can make that much more recyclable, we're heading in the wrong direction. That becomes a problem. Well, is there any ways to recycle lithium? Do they do anything with it? Yeah, there is. It's just not recycled at a level it should be. Think of all the single-use batteries. We throw them away. Well, I think the most common lithium-ion product the average household is going to have is the battery on their cell phone. I think that when I think about the things in most people's houses, most of them still plug in or take batteries, but almost everyone's phone either has a non-removal battery or has a battery that's removable, but it's still lithium ion either way. Not all of them. I have not every single cell phone in the world, but I mean, the five in this house are lithium ion. Well, lithium ion. I cannot speak tonight. Yeah, it's Tesla automobiles. 
functions with the lithium ion model for batteries. Wow. Um, Those are lithium ion batteries. Yes. And matter of fact, they're not very big. There's just a bunch of little batteries. And I was trying to look here. My rechargeables look like they are also. But I also buy very expensive rechargeables because they last quite a long time. But even the rechargeable batteries can be lithium ion. But when they die, do we recycle them? Do we take them somewhere specifically to be recycled? No, almost no household will. Also, But also, uh, let me add this to what you just said. Is there a place that is locally accessible to recycle them? And is the information easily accessible to a point where you don't have to go out of your way to find it? I would even, You have to know that I you can't. need to. First of all, you have to know that you need to recycle them. Kind of like the Curly Q CFL bulbs. No one knew that those were supposed to be specially recycled. They have mercury vapor inside them. Busting them open is a bad idea. No one knows that. Same thing with batteries. So there's going to be someone listening to this who doesn't necessarily know you're supposed to with disposable or non-disposable rechargeables. Always make sure you recycle the battery. And you can. You can go to Batteries Plus. For an example, as a place okay. that sells batteries, they have a recycle program. Most places that specialize in batteries also take them back. I'm assuming there's a credit in there somewhere for them, but they do generally have a recycle program. No, no, I understand that. Places that, that specialize in batteries, but that's why I mentioned first thing about most people only have, at least to their knowledge, lithium ion in their phones. So what happens when you get a new phone? Some places do take phones back. A lot of people, though, buy a new phone or a new phone to them, and their old one goes to their kids or gets thrown in a drawer where it sits for two or three years, and it gets thrown away. Mm-hmm. And that's not being recycled at that point. It's just going in the garbage. Right. Gold, copper, titanium, lithium, ion. I mean, lithium, all those materials are there. That's why they have to come back. And it has to be, there has to be a system built to where you want to return those. When a company looks at being like, let's be honest, circular economy is still theory-ish. Okay, there are a lot of young startup companies trying to get it. There's a lot of uh, bigger companies who are slowly doing it with certain things. For an example, have you ever seen the cleaning material or the cleaning company? Was it Method? I think this is the name. I've heard of, but I don't know anything about it. Method is attempting their soaps and cleaners. They're marketed to be green. They're getting cradle to cradle certification. So that means that the materials they're selecting can be recycled back to its original forms to be used again. And trying to get that certification, they're doing things like using recycled materials. Okay. So that's one of the things is to design your product for reuse. What is it? There's a, there's a high-end furniture place in Michigan. It's Herman something. And I don't, I, I feel bad now for not remembering the whole thing, but they build every piece of their chair so that it could be completely disassembled quickly and completely reassembled quickly. And each piece can be refurbished and put into another chair. So if you buy a chair there, they're, they are pricey, but you can turn in your old chair and they will refurbish these pieces and reuse them. Okay, so we talk about sustainability and things that are, are necessarily sustainable. Let's talk about furniture for five seconds. You just said that they're they're pricey. Well, with that being said, garbage furniture is pricey. <laughs> you can go and buy a whole, you can buy a sectional 
sofa, you know, it's got the main set, it's got the corner, it's got maybe it's got some like a hideaway bed or some recliners. It'll be like five or six pieces that all go together. Spend two thousand, three thousand dollars and have it be made of particle board and staples. And the first time you have a big person over, or the first time maybe you're just horsing around and you trip and fall into it, it breaks. Yeah, and that's true. It's it, it, it is costly, and you replace it more. You're right. You do. When I think about the amount of uh, embodied energy that goes into making one of those units, it just boils my skin. <laughs> Look, it, I'm getting inside it, of you right now. You start. You're starting to see it, aren't you? Well, yeah, but I mean, I already look for more expensive furniture because of my size. I don't want to be spending two thousand dollars just to break it in a month and have to buy a new one. I'm not trying to be funny. That's legit. Like, if it doesn't have ten inch feet on it, I don't want it. But for real like the couch we have upstairs it was was super comfortable it's got a solid wood frame but the springs that support your um cushions are locked into these little plastic brackets which is screwed into a particle board and then between the springs and everything else you have two or three layers of this real thick netting kind of like what you'd put in your yard if you're landscaping to keep weeds out of your flower bed because you know you want all the right kinds of green not the natural stuff sorry <laughs> and uh and then there's all the, the the bleached cotton in there for filler and then all you know of course the the material on it's plastic coated it's just horrid it's it's horrible to think that you said his are pricey it scares me. Don't get me wrong. I'm all about paying someone <laughs> hard work. I want to pay people for the work they put into things because I do believe above all else, if we are going to value something, we should value the passion and hard work of someone else, especially if they're working for themselves. But my Lord, man, furniture's the devil. Well, and you know, so think about that. You just went through all these pieces and you're mm-hmm. a furniture manufacturer and you want to create a circular material line. So now each of those pieces have to either be recyclable back to its original form, refurbishable back to its original form, or 100% compostable before you can even choose to use that material in your product. That's a lot that's a lot of boxes to check. I mean honestly, in terms of building a piece of furniture like that, you would have to have a very specific list of uh materials yeah it's it's there is a challenge now again one of the things you can do is like we talked about on the electronics episode make it upgradable and repairable those are very very important so that you can continue to use certain pieces over and over and over again you keep the frame you keep a lot of that there you just change the spring configuration because it's metals and you can take those out and recycle them or the fabric itself is a hemp based fabric so that it can be composted and or changed you know it's naturally colored and not dyed but there's such a massive amount of things you could do to try to cradle to cradle not cradle to grave of material well no i think that's wonderful and i like that you said hemp hemp is proving to be one of the most versatile plants there is like they can do so much with that i wish they would do a little more with it well and i i choose hemp in that conversation not because i'm a big hemp fan that thinks that it should be used for everything i do believe that it can replace a lot of cottons because cotton takes a tremendous amount of resources to grow and if we have other materials that take less resources that's important because another thing you try to do within this theory is to reduce you design the product so that it you reduce the amount of energy it takes in all phases. 
we want to make sure that the amount of energy input in the creation of it or the use of it or the disposal of it is as low as humanly possible. I understand that. Another theory portion of this is, is getting away from ownership where you just, in a sense, lease products. For an example, there's a carpet company out there that no longer sells carpet. They lease carpet. And what they do is a company comes in and says, I have this big of a building, I need carpet. So they lay the carpet and they maintain the carpet. And they're in squares, they're not noticeable. You can't tell it's squares, but if a square is tore up or dirty or bad, the company comes in, cuts it out, puts a new square in and keeps their place looking right takes the other squares back to the plant, recycles them, and is able to use 98% of the material to make new carpet squares. So the, the people never actually bought carpet. They're kind of leasing carpet. That's, that's not a terrible idea. I think that could be a really good concept to almost all kinds of flooring, depending on maybe not tongue and groove. Obviously, you can't just take out one piece, but I think that that's a really cool concept. And especially with carpet, because it's so, so resource heavy when you have to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's a pain as a, as a person who like just tore it out of my living room. I'll never put carpet down because of the amount of work it took to get rid of it. Well, and you know, so the problem is you have to get past the stigma. Think about when people started leasing cars. There was a massive group of people who said, why the heck would I do that? Then I don't own anything. But the reality is, it's not your depreciation. You paid less per month to use it, and then you get to give it back and do it again. Now, if you were someone that was going to own it and drive it 10 years after it was paid off, that's totally different. People don't necessarily think of these things, and that's something we'll have to get by. Because I'll tell you, we have family members who are going to say, there's no way I'm renting a refrigerator. Well, I agree, but I think a lot would depend on the monthly payment. If you could sit there and do the math on it, because when you say monthly payments on things or leasing, all I think of are these terrible concepts like the rent to own, the rent of centers, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And those are incredibly expensive programs that are designed to take advantage of low income families. Yeah. No, this is not that. This is. I know it's not that. That's what people are going to equate it to. They're never, and the people that equated to that are also the people that would never consider a lease of an automobile because, quite frankly, it is kind of off putting. If you especially, I, I mean, it all comes down to money. If you don't make enough money to comfortably spend that much a month at one time, then you're going to be against it. And I understand that, but I also understand, for instance, if if there was a company that did the same exact thing, but with shingles, because, you know, doing a roof on a house is a big expense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now it wouldn't be near as often as carpet, but it, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it would be, maybe it'd be the same, but it's a big expense. That's the kind of expense like putting flooring down where you save up, especially if you don't make a lot for some time and you make sure you find the, the pattern of the color that you like and you do it exactly how you want it. And then you're stuck with it for 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. If there was a company that said, hey, we'll come put this down and this is the labor charge because obviously they're going to pay labor or charge labor, but this is how much you're going to pay a month to lease it in theory. And I could be very wrong, but if it was like $20 a month, that's almost 500 a year. And if you're paying that every month after a couple of years, you've paid for what you would have paid to have that shingle put on or to have that car put down anyways. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, that's a lot. E- for me, it's a lot easier to swallow a hundred dollars a month than ten grand in my roof. I don't. Know, I think it's a. I don't. Know, I think it's a good idea. 
Well, and I think about this, I think about for an example, and I'm going to use the refrigerator because it's a high cost item. A lot of times what, what you'll have is a price of depreciation. Yeah. So it may be $20 a month or $30 a month to own it, but month over month, that number drops and it continues to depreciate. The reason why you're in a lease agreement and not a purchase agreement is that at any time you can decide this isn't my fridge. I need quote unquote that fridge. I want that style fridge. You will have to pay, of course, to have someone come in, swap them out. But in the meantime, the company gets the other one back. They refurbish it and it goes to someone else who says, that's my fridge. And the, and you continue to pay a, a depreciated amount because if you pay it off, it goes to zero. Mm-hmm. And it, But you still don't necessarily have to deal with it. Let's say it breaks. Well, this one's broken. They come in, they swap it out with whichever style you want. You start at the top of the depreciation scale and you work your way back down again. So for those who must want always the newer item, they get them. And for people like, like for an example, I have family members who always get the nicer things than I than I buy. So what is theirs to get rid of is an upgrade for me. I would say, boy, yep. that's the one for me. And I get rid of mine and there's you know, like my mom doesn't always have to have anything lavish. She would look at mine and go, ooh, that's an upgrade for me. And it's all based on the individual. We can continuously reuse these things over and over. And once they get to a point near obsolescence, they just shift them over to developing nations and do the same. These, This keeps a product in a life cycle that is 10 times longer than it would have been if it was just mine. I agree. But also something you just said made me think of something. And this kind of piggybacks on a conversation we had in your kitchen. We were talking about refrigerators. Now, I do agree that some models have things that are better than others, but refrigerators aren't exactly a product that's made to be quickly replaced. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would argue that of all things that are semi-expensive, they tend to last the longest as long as you don't you know, abuse and beat, beat the heck out of them. Because fridges aren't cheap, but They'll last for a long time, mm-hmm. very long time, because they're one of those purchases that normally when you buy on days with the house, if you move, you very seldom take your fridge. Refrigerators tend to outlast most other electronics that you'll purchase for a home, but we still pump out so many new models of them that even though they're not obsolete, we're forcing them into being obsolete just so we can sell someone a new one. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that's terrible. Obsolescence is built into most things because in the current model, as we all know, companies have to make more than they did yesterday. And if they don't, it's called a loss, even though it's, I made $2 million this month, but I only made $2 million again. They count that as a loss. Everybody points at bad company. So they have to create obsolescence into things. And that's where we end up with this massive disposability. We're at the point now in the United States where things that were never disposable, carpet, for an example, refrigerators, so all of our appliances, people find them to be disposable. They say, well, they're so cheap, you can just buy a new one. Dryers, washers, microwaves, things that all these materials are in that we need back. Or carpet, Mm -hmm. where all the energy went into carpet and you move in and go, I don't like it, get rid of it. And then you have it for a year and you go, well, we weren't thinking about it, but we want to remodel. So let's rip this out too. We'll just get new carpet again when we're done remodeling. So we are in a, in a time where the things that were supposed to last forever are considered disposable in many ways. Well, that's what I mean. And 
I guess there's a lot more to this to unpack, especially when I consider um, the way the marketing is done, the way the the market itself is is geared towards purchasing and purchasing and purchasing. And, and we've talked about this kind of uh, this disposable age that we live in. And it's it kind of hurts my heart to think that there's a lot of people that financially are not in a position to to make those purchases in a, you know comfortably, but are doing it when you know, they could be putting the money towards something else. And don't get me wrong. I am not saying that certain people don't have the right to buy whatever they want. You work for your money, you can do whatever you want with it. But if you are the kind of person like me who doesn't necessarily earn a very comfortable living, and I, I do okay, but I'm not I'm not comfortable in that regard. $1,000 is a big purchase to me. It's, it's a big purchase. And if I'm spending $1,000 on a fridge every eight to 10 months, that money adds up. Oh, my Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's just hard. It's just hard. And I'm not a fan of monthly bills. I'm I'm the guy who says, okay, how much is it yearly? I'll pay the yearly. I'm I don't like monthly. But in these situations, I think that there's probably an opportunity where companies will say, here's the upfront cost if you want to do it upfront, but you have to contact us when it's time for a new one so we can remove it. I would I would do that before I did the monthly on most cases because it's just something that. I try not to do, but like, think about refrigerators. When people just throw out a refrigerator and it's not properly recycled, a lot of greenhouse gases get released from them. A lot of the more potent, longer living gases, which it's part of the refrigerant. Now companies can take them back and handle it correctly. Less of that gets into the atmosphere. Less of that ends up in our soil and in our ground and our in our groundwater, it it only makes sense that the person who builds it deals with the result of it. I agree with that because I am going to tell you from both sides of that situation, because I will admit it right now, I have scrapped many of fridges in my time. And up until recently, maybe two years ago, I'm not sure exactly when, you could just take a fridge into the scrapyard and drop it off and it was just counted as steel weight. Now you're supposed to go to certain places and get the refrigeration removed or I guess emptied by a certain kind of person and they have to stamp it to show that it was done properly before scrapyards would even look at it. Yep. And uh, I think that's a good thing because I can tell you right now that there has been many times, sometimes in your backyard, whether you knew about it or not, you're about to, uh, where it'd be about nine o'clock at night, I'd have a fridge being torn apart for scrap and I'd just walk out, take a pair of snips, cut a piece of copper, and as soon as I walked back in the house and went to bed. By the morning came, it was all gone, and I could take my capper into the scrapyard and get my $22 or whatever it came out as. And it's not just fridges. The more common one I would actually, I would argue is that uh, window air conditioners are terrible. Yeah, yeah I was going to say air conditioners is another one. Yeah, those are probably the ones. That, those are the ones that are so much smaller, more compact, so they're easier to do. It doesn't take you all day to pull that, you know, to pull it out. Versus the fridge, which is actually some work. If you're going to scrap a fridge, you got to work ahead of you. But an air conditioner takes like 10 minutes. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I'm guilty. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I am too, because I've done it in the past also. Long before I've learned about this, my, just like we were saying, air conditioners were one of those things. And, and that goes away. You don't have to. They come, they pick it up, they take it away from you, and you you no longer deal with the consequences of that they it's their responsibility to either refurbish and get this out to someone else that can use it and keep it alive and out of a landfill or 
break it down into its its individual parts and reuse those parts. So in the circular economy, nothing is supposed to go to waste. We are nowhere near that. It is more of a theory and term, uh, but companies are starting. Like for an example, I want to make sure I tell everybody Dell, for an example, who is probably put millions of tons of computer boards in the ground (laughs) in history has decided and for this is the year to get it done their pledge was to reduce the e-waste by using 50 million recycled pieces in addition to 2 billion pounds of reclaimed pieces to build new computers from old computers that and you know what's funny is if they get it right they're going to have a huge advantage on everybody else. Yeah, that's amazing. Levi's is another one that's, they have Some it. Company. Yeah, the je- blue jeans or clothing company, because clothing, of course, is it uses an insane amount of water, you know, with the dyes and everything else. It's, it's a high energy product for a lot of times, a low use. A lot of people wear something once, twice, three times, and it's never seen again. I, of course, wear it to the holes are noticeable and people mock me. And then I call it a work shirt. And when it gets, when it can't be a work shirt, then it's a shop rag. And at some point, I think someone sneaks into the garage and throws them all away. But most likely, or I've actually buried them in the garden before used it, (laughs) used it to block off for weeds or this or that, because it's it's temporary. It'll pull apart. It'll biodegrade. But uh, Levi's has put a lot of effort into how they can, and not just effort, but finances into how they can keep their production going without the use of so much darn water. So they they are actively searching for a way to create a closed loop system. And I give them, I want to give them the credit for that. Timberland works with a company called Omni United who builds, who makes tires. And when tires get wore down to a point where they cannot be used anymore, Timberland has worked out a deal to get that rubber from them so they can make soles for shoes. So there are some out there attempting to, but one of the things I did see when looking it up was Adidas, congratulations for, you know, closing the loop, but it was, they were using plastic from the ocean to make a shoe. That is not a closed loop. That is, you took a waste product, thank you, out of our ocean and you made a shoe, but you can't, so what is, that doesn't go, that goes back into the ocean. That doesn't count as the kind of closed loop system we're looking for. You have to have the materials selected to either be biodegradable or 100% recyclable. And it is nice that they're pulling plastic out of the ocean to make a shoe, but that shoe, that doesn't qualify as a closed loop system. It's nice that they did it. I appreciate that they're going out there and pulling plastic out of the ocean, but that is not how the circular economy works. That is not a long-term function. You see a lot of that right now. When you Google it and look it up, you're going to see all these companies that say, yep, we're using recycled materials. We're part of that system. Only in the smallest portion. Yeah, that kind of borderlines that greenwashing. I mean, they're doing a good thing, but they're masking it for something totally different. It's great that they're pulling waste out of the ocean. That's always going to be good. I will never stop anyone from doing that. But they're not exactly circular, if you're right. Instead of making a straight line, they just started their line in a different area. And they're still going to end up with a product that can't be reused when they're done. So I I, I chalked it up to greenwashing. Hands down. So when you're looking these things up, or if you're looking for companies that are are attempting, 
I'll tell you right now, they're few and far between. Most of them are startups. Most of them are small. Most you've never heard of. But I'm hoping that some visionary from one of these little star startups will win. And once they win, large companies start stealing those ideas. And I like it when those ideas are sustainable ideas for once. Absolutely. I mean, if we're talking about corporate espionage, let's do something, let's do something in, in favor of the earth. Right, right. Because that's the rarity. Let's do the good one for once. So I think this is the first conversation about circular economy and, and we will have to get into it a little more at a later date. But let's be honest, it's a young study. It's a young process. People, Companies are just starting to do it, but it is an interesting conversation to have. Absolutely. I mean, all these topics are interesting and, and I self-admittedly don't know near the amount that I'd like to about them, but I will say that none of them are things I just brush off. When they get brought to my attention, I want to know more, which is, that's good, especially since I, I consider myself the king of all useless information and I don't know any of this, so that means it's useful. Well, if, if I leave everybody with one thing is when you hear about the circular economy, it means that nothing makes it to a landfill. That when, it, when a company creates a product, that when it goes through every cycle it can possibly go through, it gets new life. It is a nutrient to another product. It does not ever go to a landfill. And if every company worked within a closed loop system like this, that's when landfills become obsolete. No, I completely agree. And I think that that is a future that we all should be working for, especially if we want to focus on what we're leaving for the next generation, the generations after that. Absolutely. That's all we have for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to remind you yet again that if you enjoyed this episode, share it somewhere. Tell someone. Because the more people who listen to this show, the more people that can start talking about sustainability, the more we enjoy your comments on sustainability. We appreciate you listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. We'll see you next week. Feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? That Ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. Learn more at ethic.org. E-T-H-Y-K.org.